my whole theory behind being a more competent paddler and more competent adventurer and getting experience is to is really to do just that is to be safer and be able to go farther, go faster, cover, you know, and see cover more terrain and see more places and and just be safer doing it. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Today we are joined by Eric Caravella of Pack Rafting Adventures. In partnership with the United States Adventure Racing Association, who has produced a companion video, we are happy to host Eric as he discussed pack rafting, his personal journey, and how pack rafting is growing as a discipline inside adventure racing. This is a good episode. Eric does a great job explaining all about pack rafts and what they could do for adventure racers and for plain old adventurers. So sit back and enjoy this episode of The Dark Zone. Eric is a longtime adventure racer, um, has involved in planning races, directing races. He's raced all over the world. Um, and in recently in the past year to two years, and he'll talk more about that, he's branched out into an organization called Pack Rafting Adventures, uh, an, uh, an entity that he's put together that helps bring pack rafting into adventure racing, into people's lives through uh, clinics and rentals and races and things like that. So, Eric, welcome to the Dark Zone. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Brian. So as adventure racing evolves as a sport, and while pack rafting has always been around and it's been around for a long time, and I'll ask you in a second to talk about what a pack raft is and things like that, clearly more and more races are beginning to require pack rafts to be used for the for sections of the race as a as is part of one, you know, bike, trek, paddle, and now pack raft. Before we get into pack rafting and AR, can you talk to the audience a bit about what pack rafting is and what it entails? Yeah, so um, pack crafts are just little inflatable boats that can be packed down really small, stuffed in a backpack, carried long distances to allow uh, the user to access remote uh, waterways, whether they be lakes or rivers. Um, you know, obviously they can be used for more than that. Uh, I use mine for roadside whitewater and you know just day trips as well. Uh, but the real joy. Uh, and the real benefit to using pack rafts is just the flexibility that they allow and the opportunity they give you to travel deep into the wilderness and access, uh, you know, paddling opportunities that you might not otherwise have. As a, as a companion piece to this podcast, you and I were, were able to work with Dave Gedney from the United States Adventure Racing Association. We, we put together sort of a how-to video about pack rafting and we encourage all listeners to the dark zone to head over to the USARA website and there'll be a link there and we'll connect that in the show notes. So it's a picture's worth a thousand words and that's going to be very helpful for people want to understand that. But for someone who's never pack raft before, you mentioned small boats that can be packed down. Give us some context. What do they weigh? How small do they get? Do they fit in a regular pack? Do they have to go in a pack? Like walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I do demonstrate this uh, with a number of different boats in the video. Um, I have a few demonstrations and I show how they're packed up as well. Um, but yeah, they, they range in size. I mean, there's a, uh, a ton of different types and models out there. Uh, anywhere from, 
two and a half pounds for super remote, you know, just mellow uh, alpine lake crossings or canyoneering uh, to big burly uh, 15 pound tandems that can charge down the Grand Canyon. And, uh, you know, there, as, there are as many uses as there are models and, you know, it'd be impossible to talk about every one of them, but by and large, the, the characteristic that defines the pack raft is its ability to be packed down and put inside a pack backpack of some sort, you know, bigger boat might require a bit of a bigger backpack, but, uh, most boats can be, you know, compressed down to the size of a large sleeping bag either strapped to the outside of a pack or stuffed inside like I like to do. And uh, yeah, really uh, it creates uh, an easy opportunity to portage that boat into, into remote areas. Like I said, you know, we use breakdown paddles, lightweight PFDs, uh, and depending on the objective, you have any number of other pieces of safety gear, which I also talk about in the video. Big races coming up, Expedition Oregon and the Endless Mountains are requiring pack rest to be used. We're seeing it also in Naira's The Longest Day, which is coming up in May. Your individual experience somewhat mirrors the experience of the sport when it comes to the use of pack rests. Tell us your origin story. How did you grow into pack rafting adventures? How did you grow into this as, as a pursuit? Walk us through your timeline. How did you end up here? I got into pack rafting through adventure racing and back in 2014. I paddled a pack raft for the first time in Untamed New England, four-day race up in Maine, uh, put on by uh, evil genius Grant Killian. Um, Grant Killian, if you're out there and you're listening, <laughs> we need you to come back into adventure racing. I will say that in every single podcast that I do. Grant, <laughs> listen to the bat signal. Come to the adventure racing. Make a <laughs> race. back. He's just going to pop up one day on social media and he's going to do his little like tap, tap, tap. Is this thing on? And everybody's just going to go ballistic and he's going to, he's going to host another world-class event. But, you know, he was one of the earlier race directors to include pack rafting and up in Maine. I mean, there's plenty of use uses for them. Um, but yeah, I borrowed a boat for that race and, and just the option, the route options and the creativity allowed on the race course just blew my mind. And it, and it occurred to me that you could really extend that to personal adventures. And I ended up hanging on to a buddy of mine's boat, um, for a couple of years after that, actually, and just poking around and doing my own thing. And it, like I said, it allows a level of creativity with respect to route design and linking up different different um, treks and paddles and uh, just seeing a, even just seeing a familiar wilderness in a new way, which I just loved. And so, you know, fast forward to, I don't know, I guess it was 2019 when uh, Rootstock announced that their 36 hour um two rivers race was going to include pack rafting and they got a deal with alpaca and they said, yeah, well, we'll give you a discount, uh, for any of the race participants. And I said, oh, okay, well, this might be my time to actually finally pull the trigger. And I decided after years of thinking about it, I, I had to always just assume that I was going to get a tandem raft because that's what most people use in a race uh, environment. They tend to be faster. Um, and most adventure racers are really just focused on, you know, purely speed. 
but I decided I could better justify the expense and investment if I bought a boat that I would be using for other things outside of the race. And a solo boat may be a little slower in some race environments, but I started using it and I had the opportunity, obviously, to train with it a lot more, having not having to depend on another person to paddle with. So that was really nice. And, and I got into you know some beginner whitewater and I was beatering all over the place. I'm like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Doing, um, but I was hooked and I started researching, well, what, what else can I do with this? And, and obviously the, the, the easy answer everybody thinks about when asked what is there to do with a pack raft is go to Alaska. And I mean, that's where I was born back in the early eighties and it's thriving there now. And just the opportunities to use the pack raft as a tool to trout travel across that landscape is there. I mean, there's a hundred thousand lifetimes of options up there. Uh, so I started thinking about doing the, uh, Alaska mountain wilderness classic, which is kind of an underground adventure race up there and talking to a few of my adventure heroes up there. They were like, well, you know, you really should take some white swift water safety training. And that was kind of where it started. Who's me adventure heroes? I'd love to, we'll link them in the show notes. Who's, who's that? Uh, well, Luke Mel is, uh, is an easy answer. He's been a mentor of mine for the last few years. Um, and then at that time I had been emailing Roman dial as well. It's another name. A lot of people might recognize he's done a lot of stuff up there in Alaska, both with the boat and without, I mean, he's just prolific in the things that he's accomplished in Alaska. His, and all, his, all over his the book, world. Uh, he wrote a book called the adventurer's son that is just enthralling about his, his own son and the adventures. And so yes, yeah, definitely Luke and definitely Roman. Um, yeah. Those guys up in Alaska, they're the real deal, but to their credit, you know, they, they said, look, it's really important that you understand what you're getting yourself into, not just with the environment in Alaska, which is a little bit different than on the environment here in New Jersey. Um, but also, also with respect to river safety, and and I'm glad they did that. They encouraged me to to take river safety training, and I did, and and that was a major eye opener for me because it was one of those times where you just realize how much you don't know that you don't know. And I had already started paddling in a little bit of white water, and uh, I realized there was a lot of things I was doing wrong, and I realized there was a lot of things a lot of people around me were doing wrong. And, you know, not to talk badly about pack rafters or adventure racers, but I mean, the fact is, you know, if you don't come with us with a solid boating background, um, you know, the, the learning curve to getting into whitewater in a kayak is so, so much steeper than with a pack raft. I mean, you can hop in a pack raft and, and theoretically just float down some class two river without any training whatsoever. Um, but that's not to say it's a, it's a good idea. So I started to see some scary sort of river behavior and, and the, the river IQ of the people around me and even some of my paddling partners just really wasn't what I, what I wanted at that point. And so I started taking river safety training with a kayaker. There really isn't any pack raft specific instruction on the East coast until now. And there wasn't at that time. So I started working with an instructor and setting up bunch of my friends to take pack raft. Uh, well, I guess they weren't really pack raft specific, but they were pack rafting groups going to take river safety classes with a kayaker. Um, and to his, you know, he did a good job of starting to try to figure out kind of the unique considerations of the pack raft. But I mean, he's a kayaker, a hard sheller, and, you know, he really wasn't ever going to be able to fill that, that void um, that I saw 
which was just that there needs to be uh, pack raft instruction, both paddling instruction, gear and skills and river safety uh, directed at the pack rafting community. And that was the real genesis for my for my business. I went and got certified by the ACA as a river safety and rescue instructor. And I was going to start teaching classes. And I and I started to think, well, maybe I could maybe there's a little more. Maybe I could do some guiding. Maybe I could do like paddling instruction because Obviously, I started getting a lot of professional paddling instruction as well. I went up to Alaska and did a bunch of training up there. Um, but anyway, that's a long version of saying kind of how my company got started. And and it, and it, the response has been really good. As you said, there's a lot of new races that are including pack rafting. I mean, it's blowing up, so to speak, um, pun intended. But uh, <laughs> wait, hey, I'm working it in there. The pack rafting blowing up inflatable thing. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it. It's my cheesy dad joke of the day. But I I managed to partner with a few of the race directors that are offering races that include pack rafting to give discounts to people who are um, coming to take the training to make them safer boaters, safer adventurers, and safer training. Because really, at the end of the day, I mean, the, the objective for everybody is the same, and that's to come home safely. Um, and I think everybody can agree that that's, that should be a priority for everyone, whether they're racing or out on their own adventure. So, so recognizing that a pack raft is, is coming to the same level as owning a mountain bike, owning good trekking gear during the course of a race, and more and more adventure racers are going to either rent pack rafts or they're going to acquire their own, and fully understanding that there's no replacement for an on-site safety orientation course, right? There's, there's a weekend with you is the safest thing that someone can do. For the people who don't have the opportunity to take a course in advance of a race, but there's a pack rafting section, what would you tick off as the things that they have to focus on from a safety perspective before they get in that pack raft? Is it entrapment hazards, things dangling off? I just want to, for our listeners, this is conversation, right? The best thing to do is go and take a course. But in your perspective, Eric, what, what would you say, what are the red flags that people have to be careful about from a safety perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I do talk about this a little bit in the video series because Dave and I did some I did some on water demonstrations, um, and it really does depend on the the expected paddling environment. You know, safety concerns and considerations for a flat water paddling environment are going to be a lot different than for a river. Um, but either way, uh, the ability to get back into your boat is a pretty good uh, and easy answer. I think any any beginner pack rafter can really benefit from spending time practicing a wet re-entry uh, because pack rafts can be rolled. Um, indeed, I can roll them, but it's definitely not the it's not the go-to self-rescue uh, from the vast majority of pack rafters, myself included. I, I don't even try to roll when I flip. Um, I, because it's so easy just to flip your boat back over and climb back in. That's just not really an option with kayaks um, and often even with canoes. So uh, that's a unique uh, feature to a pack raft that people can spend some time saying, oh, okay, well, let me learn how to get back in it. And I tell this to everybody. I mean, practice that until you can do it in your sleep because it is really a good skill, whether you're on flat water or in a river. Um, obviously it gets a little trickier when you're in moving water and you got other safety issues to think about, like keeping your feet off the bottom of the river, um, to avoid entrapment, keeping the clean lines principle in mind. And I talk about that in the videos as well. Um, but 
Yeah, really, it's, uh, you know, I could go on for hours and it, it's not going to make sense for me to talk about all this stuff. Really, you just need to take a course. Um, and I know that's kind of a cop out, but realistically, um, being able to get back in your boat, having some sense as to like what is safe rigging and behavior on the river, um, really just having solid dialed boating skills is a foundation to safety. And, uh, you know, I can't stress this enough, really. And, and there's a there's a lot, a lot to do about river rescue and rescue skills. And I love that. I love teaching it. I find it fascinating. All these river rescue techniques and all the things you can do with throw bags is just amazing. But if you can stay rubber side down and you just never swim, you know, a lot of that stuff you're never going to need to use. Um, so really safety... Uh, safety step number one you can take is just learning how to be a competent boater. Um, going with competent partners is really important too. You know, a lot of people talk about the dangers of going solo versus going with a partner. Yeah, well, if you're with a partner who doesn't know what they're doing, um, you know, you could say you could argue that that's effectively solo, or worse, if that person's ineptitude or incompetence is going to endanger you. So. I, that's why I spent so much time trying to convince my friends and paddling partners to, to train either professionally or with me or whatever. And we spend a lot of time. I mean, Brian, you know, we paddle together. How much time do I spend talking about safety considerations? We do pre-trip briefings and things like that. You know, we just never take this stuff for granted because my competence helps me, but it also helps you and vice versa. And, um, and, and there's all those, those, those tips and tricks that you do, like no matter how experienced you are, I, I know one thing you and I've paddled together and I've seen you with groups and I've seen you assisting classes, regardless of the competency level of the group getting on the water, you always do a pre-race safety check, PFDs, paddles, helmets, who has a throw bag? What's the plan? What are we doing? Staying together on the water, right? No one taking a break separate from the group. All of those things come together. And I think it's good for the, for the listener to know, and obviously this is covered in the video and, and you, you talk about a, about a lot of things in the video. And thanks again to Dave for helping to facilitate that for USARA. But it's very, very clear that pack rafting, much like other disciplines though, is that the more proficient you are in it, not only will you enjoy it more, you'll be more safe. But on top of that, it opens up more and more of the wilderness to the, to the person who wants to pack raft, where you could put your pack in a bag if your pack, your classable paddles, your PFT you can go into a backpack and you can go into the back country for X amount of days. You've done a lot of exploring. You've gone to Alaska, you've gone to Utah. Very interesting though. You've made a good use of the Adirondacks up in New York state, which is a, a park that's the size of Massachusetts. People don't realize that. What have you discovered in your local backyard, so to speak, in terms of how much you could piece together? Were you able to put together multi-day trips that were effective? Yeah, and, and you make good points about competency translating into uh, pursuing new and potentially more ambitious objectives. And it's not really for everybody. You know, not everybody wants to go out there and push their limits. Um, but that was important to me. And it always has been since I've been racing. And well, since, I mean, uh, since I was a kid, you know, I, I've always liked to push myself and see what's possible. And my whole my whole theory behind being a more competent paddler and more competent adventurer and getting experience is to is really to do just that is to be safer and be able to go farther, go faster, cover, you know, and see 
cover more terrain and see more places and, and just be safer doing it. So, you know, I do spend a fair amount of time paddling roadside whitewater, which, you know, to some people doesn't really make sense, like why you would do that in a pack craft, but I'm very deliberate when I'm paddling, I'm trying to be, you know, use that opportunity to train and get better so that when I am in the back country, I'm, I'm able to make safer decisions. I have better boat control. If I come around a turn and there's a, you know, a strainer across the river, you know, it's not as, it's not as dangerous as if I can't control my boat. Um, uh, pop, pop quiz. What's a strainer for the listener? Yeah. A strainer is, uh, is one of the, one of the more important hazards to understand uh, as a pack raptor, because we're, we're more, apt to be paddling in, in a remote or unfamiliar environment or unscouted environment or just a, a river that people don't tend to paddle a lot. Um, and a strainer happens when a, when usually when a tree is down in the river um, and your and it's branches or it's or its trunk is allowing water to pass through but potentially not a, you know a boat or a body or a piece of gear. Um, so uh, obviously the danger speaks for itself, where if the water is pushing you against this hazard and it's letting the water through, but not your body, there's, um, there's a, you know, an objective danger there that you don't want anything to do with. And I talk a lot about that in my courses and, and how important it is to stay away from those types of things. But, you know, in reality, it's just going to happen, you know, especially on the East coast, um, and a lot of places, you're just going to have to understand that wood in the river is a, is a fact of life. Um, and it's important to know how to deal with that. And again, I'll go back to what I said before, and I'll be a broken record about it if I have to, but boat handling skills are number one. Um, having that ability to get yourself out of the river. Um, if you see something like that is, is really, really important. Um, but anyway, yeah, going back to what you asked before I did, I have spent, you know, some time in Alaska out in Wyoming. I did a bunch of stuff. I did a big trip through Canyonlands. Um, but being based here on the East coast and kind of, uh, centering my, my business on paddling opportunities in the East coast, I've been exploring a fair bit in the, in the Southern Appalachians and also in, in the Adirondacks. And I, and I love the Adirondacks. It, it holds a lot of uh, meeting to me. It's very special to me because I spent many summers there uh, as a kid going to summer camp. And there's a deep paddling history and a deep hiking history in the Adirondacks. And to some extent, people are combining the two with lightweight canoes and pack boats and things like that, where they're able to link up different rivers and lakes and things. But obviously there's still limitations when you're carrying a big rigid boat like that. Um, so what's been fun is poking around with the pack craft and linking up either unfamiliar or henceforth unpaddled water uh, to existing routes or just combining big, uh, big ambitious routes into new co combinations. I mean, it's hard to explain, but, you know, we'll do a trip. And again, you and I have done a couple of trips up there where, you know, we're in the back country for two days, three days, four days, whatever. And it's fun to post, you know, uh, on Facebook afterwards, because there's a, a big group of paddlers, Adirondack paddlers on Facebook. And I like talking to them or posting on them and sharing my trips because people are really, they really seem interested in the pack craft and, and what it allows. And 
people's minds are blown when they see how much distance we can cover with the pack rafts because they're all used to traveling with a big 40 pound canoe. And I said, Oh, well, we did this, 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 and this, and we finished it in three days. And they're like, you did what in three days? And I, and I would assume that some of those bodies of water, that might be the first time that, that, that a non-indigenous resident put a boat on it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's hard to tell. It's the wilderness up there is pretty well traveled. You know, there's, it's possible that I have paddled some things that, you know, no one's ever paddled before, but I don't, I certainly don't claim any first descents. Uh, what I prefer to, to, to talk about and to think about is just how to get creative and how to just sort of see the, see the wilderness in a little bit of a different way. And I love maps. I mean, just like a lot of people who are going to listen to this podcast, just have an unhealthy obsession with maps. And my wife will roll her eyes as she <laughs> hears me talking about this. But really, I mean, if I had a dime for every hour I spent looking at maps, I'd, I'd be able to quit my day job. But, you know, just the fact that you now have this additional tool in your toolbox uh, means that you know, all these blue circles or blue lines on the map now turn into trails where they were maybe a hazard or, a, or, um, you know, a blockade before it's, it just, you know, you look at maps completely differently and it, I mean, it just really expands the possibilities and, uh, gives you new opportunities to, to see the, the wilderness in, in a new way. And bringing that back to adventure racing, the fact that race designers and, and, and race directors, when they, when they now know that pack rafting is becoming a standard piece of equipment that is being used and expected. And there's, there's people who own pack rafts and then there's rental companies, much like your own that have access to pack rafts and pack rafts are loaned. And some people are crazy. They own two or three pack rafts themselves and they give these things out to friends. Um, what's really clear um, that this is going to expand adventure racing where, and to call it revolutionary is, is an overused phrase, but now all of a sudden, a, a, a standard discipline has now been born inside the sport. And yes, it did exist. Grant Killian, I know you're out there, Grant. I know you're listening. We're still waiting for you to come back. In 2014, he put pack rafts on that. And I, I think, was it was it the Dead River stage? It was Dead River. There was a couple of different stages that included pack rafting. And I think he did it before that. But I mean, you're not wrong when you say revolutionary. I just think it goes back a little farther. And I would argue, again, going back to Alaska in the 80s with the Alaska Mountain Wilderness Classic in the early 80s when Dick Griffith busted out that raft. I mean, he did revolutionize backcountry travel because um, Roman Dial was there watching and he was like, huh. And we know what Roman Dial went and did after that. I mean, that guy's covered more ground um, in the Brooks Range and elsewhere throughout Alaska, you know, than a lot of other people. But yeah, you make, you know, your point is a good one because what adventure racing in its truest and I think most rewarding form is, is a puzzle where you have a number of checkpoints and you got to figure out how to get them and then how much time and you got to figure out your route and the best races in my opinion involve a lot of route choice and a lot of uh, strategy and time management and teamwork and yes fitness um, but for me I think the best races are not the ones determined by who's the fittest they're the races that are determined by yeah, I mean, who trained, but also 
who's a good navigator, who can make good route choices, who can manage their time well, who is a, a, an excellent strategist. And you see this time and time again when the leaderboard is just dominated by guys and, and gals in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, I mean, yes, they're incredible athletes, but it also means they have they have an awful lot of experience and that means a lot. And the really cool thing about pack rafting is it just adds a new dimension to being and to being in that race environment and getting creative and having an additional tool and an additional choice and going into this section and saying, all right, not only am I looking at this from like a point to point to point uh, navigation perspective, but now I'm like, well, am I going to benefit from paddling this section versus hiking around or whatever? And I think Dave may have brought this up in the video, um, but he was asking, you know, how do you know when to pack or when to, when to raft? And it's, that's a hard question, right? It's very, very situational. And you really got to have the experience uh, to know how quickly you can transition from, from hiking to boating, how fast you can paddle, what the distance differential is, what's the terrain like if I was to walk it, um, how am I feeling? You know, one of the cool things about pack rafting trips is you can hike for, you know, nine hours until your feet are totally thrashed and then sit down in your boat and be, feel totally fresh again. Um, so you can cover an immense amount of distance if you give yourself that, you know, break and you can switch it up. You know, your multi-sport athletes that are listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. But the strategy involved and the additional creativity and route choice that the pack craft allows in, in private adventures and in a race environment is just like, I mean, that's immeasurable as far as I'm concerned. Think about it, right? Like, like, and we're, we're blessed here. Um, the adventure racing scene in America in 2022 is just starting to really blossom and it's, it's back with a bang and the leadership of Garrison, Michael Garrison, USAIRA is really coming through. And, but we have all these races, but if you notice in most races, when you get to a TA, they tell you the next discipline. Right. This is where you transition from from bike to foot or from to a paddle. How interesting would it be that when you get to a TA and they say to you, it's up to you. Like you have a pack raft in your backpack. You have a trail. You have you have shoes on your feet. Maybe there's even a bike there. Your job is to get from TA two to TA three. There's five checkpoints, 10 checkpoints, 12. How many in between? And your job is to go figure that out. And you could you could paddle it. You could you could track it or you could bike it, but that's not a us decision. That's a you decision. And that's what the that pack rafting does. Cause you don't really see a lot of that in a lot of races. A lot of races, they say what the next discipline is, no matter what. Yeah. And honestly, that's, that's part of the reason that I don't race too much anymore. I still stay very involved in the racing scene. I'm on the USARA safety committee. Um, I, I think it's really important to stay plugged in with the scene and not just because a lot of pack rafters on the East coast are also adventure racers, but, um, but realistically, I think this is a, this is a good place to, to really, uh, foster a burgeoning sport. Um, and I agree. I think it's, I think it, like I said, I mean, it opens up a lot of cool possibilities. I love, love, love the strategy and choice given to racers where it's just like, you know what? you know, you figure this out. And I I'll, actually, I remember one of my favorite races of all time, uh, was a, uh, gung ho race out and they did the NARS championships out in Pennsylvania. Um, and it was near Racetown Lake 
And that race was so cool because it was kind of like a point to point where you traveled through, you did, you know, there's some biking and some trekking, there's like caving involved. And then they gave us canoes. There was no pack rafting at that time, but they gave us canoes and there was amazing biking and trekking, whatever. What was so cool about that race was like, there were like very few rules. I mean, they, they said, well, these are the checkpoints. I mean, I don't know, you guys figure out how to get them and I'll never forget I was in, uh, I was coming into a transition area, riding and biking in the middle of the night. And I saw these people like running away from the transition area. And I go to the race director and I'm like, why are those people running? Uh, you know, why are they on foot? He goes, I have no idea. Like he, he was like, <laughs> I had no idea what every team used a different strategy, got different checkpoints by different means of travel. We were boating, you know, canoeing with our bikes in the boats, carrying our canoes loaded with bikes and gear. It was, it was mayhem, but man, it was so cool to have, to have those tools and then be able to decide how, how to use them. And I think there was, you know, that race was right in my backyard. And like you said, I traveled all over the world to race. That was still, I, to this day, I remember that race so fondly because of how neat it was to just sort of figure out how to get those points and not be told exactly, you know, how to do it by the race director. But that's like, but, but good adventure races are like, are they, they're like human Swiss army knives, right? A good adventure racer can, can be thrown into a situation and be like, do I, what do I do here? And then they, they have the skill set to figure it out. And what you're talking about through pack rafting adventures and through your, your advocacy and being involved in, in, in all of the groups you're involved in is that you're basically saying that it, it is worth the sports while to invest in the training, invest in the safety, to invest in the materials, because it expands the adventure racing scene even wider than it already is. Yeah, because look, I think I think the important thing is like, you know, we do a, a, a an adventure race and maybe the race director does give us a lot of leeway on how to race it, but we do still depend on them to transport bins and gear and boats and bikes from point to point and things like that. And it's really fun to kind of pick our way through a course and, and, and then talk, talk to all the other racers afterwards about it. Um, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about racing is, is the afterwards when I'm, you know, talking to my friends and saying, well, how did you do this? And then having my mind completely blown that they, they did something that I had never even imagined doing and it either paid off or really blew up in their faces. So it's like, I, I just love that. And the cool thing about pack crafting is like, you don't need the race director support. You know, you can do your multi-sport adventure with your bike or with, with your bike in your boat, or you're, you're just trekking with your boat and mix it up and you can carry that gear with you. You don't need a, a race director to, and look, I'm not trying to talk your listeners out of racing anymore. This is my, this is my story where I realized, uh, you know, the, the possibilities of pack crafting and dove in head first. And matter of fact, actually one of my teammates, John Corain, heard that I had started up this pack crafting business and bought a whole bunch of boats and started getting trained up to be an instructor and all this stuff. And he called me Eric all in Caravella because he knows, I mean, I, I get into something and then I'm like full bore head first, I'm charging in um, full tilt hundred percent. And, and I don't know, it's just the way I am, but it really spoke to me that I could apply what I learned as an adventure racer and continue doing self-supported multi-sport adventures 
I mean, sometimes right out my front door, you know, I walk out my front door, I walk through town, I put on a little Creek, I paddle back and, you know, walk, walk back to my front door. It's like, I mean, Hey, you can't beat that. That's, that's cool. You, 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 you talk about a a very common trajectory that we see with, with adventure races racing. A lot of people migrate into adventure racing because they're involved in multi-sport triathlon, marathoning, whatever it is. They then get into adventure racing, which ruins them for the multi-sport because all of a sudden races in which they tell you where to go because it's all map and compass for adventure racing become boring. So marathon kind of marathon becomes a training day and adventure racing becomes the discipline that you enjoy doing the race you enjoy doing. But then over time, what happens is, and this is your trajectory and I could take off 10 people who are just like this. They learn a skill set inside adventure racing where they realize that they could survive in the backcountry, they could take care of their feet, their gear, their clothing. They have all sorts of safety and weather clothing. They could carry food, all of that. They continue to keep their toe in the adventure racing waters, much like you are still, USARA Safety Committee. You're supporting Endless Mountains through the through the, your, I know you're involved in that and you're renting boats. But on top of that, they go and then they design their own adventures separate from adventure racing. A, a crew of adventure racers went up to the Whites this past January and attempted to do a PEMI loop, a 31.5 mile sub-zero circumnavigation of the PEMI loop. Three of them did just fine. Mark Latanzi did great. His his feet didn't, but he's still in one piece. Alyssa Gadeski and, and, and Matt Szymanski, who just came in fourth at the Shenandoah Epic alongside Jim Mernon. So to your point, there's this this natural evolution that we're seeing in adventure racing where very often they become racers who adventure and the pack raft becomes another tool in that. It sounds like that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I think adventure racing wakes a lot of people up to what they're what they're capable of. Um, You know, it's it's really interesting and, and I'm thrilled to see so many new people entering the sport since eco challenge. And, you know, the first first time eco challenge was on TV resulted in, I mean, most of my contemporaries in the sport, you know, majority of the people I know that will say that eco challenge in some way impacted their decision to enter. It's most common reference. And like I said, with the new people too, who watched it on Amazon and now they're racing and, and they are now many of them finding out that they're capable of more than they thought they were uh, before. And that has translated for me into thinking, well, you know, if I didn't have a race director telling me where to go, you know, what would I do? And, you know, I have raced, I have directed races and done all that, you know, and been responsible for my field of racers. But, you know, uh, I, I wanted to see, well, you know, what if I'm responsible for my own logistics and traveling into some completely foreign environment? And I got really into remote trip planning and using all these satellite technologies and um, trying to figure out how to plan trips. So, and that's what I've that's what I've been doing lately, and it's been very rewarding for me. Um, the trip up in Alaska, I did a, a six day, seven day traverse of the Talkeetna Mountain Range that um, on a route that, uh, to my knowledge, no one's ever done before. Uh, then I I did a big figure eight through Canyonlands National Park uh, with a, f- a friend of mine uh, with the pack rafts where we linked up 
the Mays District, uh, the Needles District, the Colorado River and the Green River over the course of five days. Um, and then, you know, just trying to figure out what's possible here on the East Coast, because going to those environments and experiencing new things can really just has been has been educating me and has been allowing me to gain more and more experience and and then which then allows me to share it back with the community um, through my business or just through uh, mentorship or doing interviews and videos like I'm doing for you and for the Adventure, uh, United States Adventure Racing Association because uh, there is a learning curve with pack rafting. I mean, uh, it's taken me years to, to figure out the systems and gear that work for me and, and figure out why certain things work and why certain things don't work. And I'm really, really into exploratory boating and, you know, going into a place, not knowing what is going to happen. And maybe I can paddle out. Maybe I can't, maybe I end up bushwhacking for a day. I don't know. Um, but it's been fun trying to figure out how to plan those trips and spend the time on logistics and on safety and doing all that and coming away with a really positive, rewarding experience. Um, you know, before going to Canyonlands, I had never spent any time in the desert. And we had a, uh, I mean, the, that five-day route we did was just an amazing, amazing good time. I mean, it was hard, but it was amazing. Same thing with Alaska, you know. Um, so that's been sort of my excuse for doing all these adventures privately is because it it educates me and gives me info and experience to pass down to to the next next people who are up and comers. Well, I want to come back to the the breadth of what you've learned and what you could offer and the trip planning and all that because I think the listeners of the podcast will find that fascinating. But you used a turn of phrase there a second ago that I think is worth digging into. One thing we say very often on the dark zone. That one thing that's amazing about adventure racing is it's a peek into human nature, you know, people's personalities, things like that. We mentioned teamwork and dealing with stress. You said that adventure racing, you used the phrase capable of more, that you learned that you were capable of more. I think many people that they, they struggle for that in their lives, that they, they, they live their lives in such a manner that they know that they could do more. They could be something different than what they are. And adventure racing tips that domino to them. Walk us through, if you can, your own history with adventure racing and how it it taught you things about yourself that if not for adventure racing, you would not have known. Oh, boy. Um, well, I mean, I think I think it goes back to, uh, you know, I grew up going camping and being outdoorsy with my family. And like I said, they sent me up to the Adirondacks every summer as a kid and we would push, you know, into these week long canoeing trips in all kinds of weather up with these 80 pound, uh, metal canoes up to Canada and things like that. And it was pretty extreme. Um, but you know, after that, I got into a little bit of mountain bike racing when I was a teenager and I enjoyed that for a while. I did my first 24 hour mountain bike race when I was in high school, but I went to college and, um, you know, I kind of fell off the exercise wagon and got onto the partying and drinking wagon. And, you know, I, I didn't really get a lot of exercise and I was living a really unhealthy lifestyle and I was pretty unhealthy by the time I, I graduated college. Um, you know, I had developed a bit of a drinking problem and, you know, I, uh, I was in a bit of a bad place, um, trying to figure out where I was going with my life. And I think, I don't know. I mean, 
this might, this is like purely conjecture, but you know, I have this, uh, I have this sort of addictive personality. Um, and I think that translates to a lot of what I've, I've done in the adventure racing world as well. Um, at that particular point in my life, I was applying it to something that was a little more self-destructive. Well, I don't know. I guess there's an argument that could be made that adventure racing can be self-destructive too. But I, I don't know if I draw a correlation between adventure racing and unhealthy drinking as an apples to apples comparison, but your, your point's well taken. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, anyway, fast forward, I, I had to quit drinking. Um, that was about 13 years ago. Um, but, you know, again, it didn't mean the, the, the addictive personality uh, disappeared. Um, you know, whether it's uh, racing or, or personal adventure pursuits, you know, over the years, I, I again, purely conjecture, but, you know, I, I kind of feel like there are a lot of people pursuing ultra endurance endeavors and objectives um, that have a his, some sort of history uh, with substance abuse. And I don't know if that's ever been studied, but I wouldn't be surprised to learn that a portion of society who have substance abuse issues is overrepresented in the endurance sports world. But um, I don't know. A, that's yeah. a the, but that's a theme we hear from time and time again, is that people, you know, and I think that it's, it's definitely, it's definitely fascinating to talk about. And I, I appreciate you, you digging into it with our listeners because people will resonate with people. Yeah, and, I hope it does because it's, you know, it's important. Um, and it's not something a lot of people talk about and I don't talk about it much either, but you know, I, I do think it's part of my past and it's part of my story. Um, and at that point in my life, I was pretty unhealthy. I gained a lot of weight I was woefully out of shape. Um, my sister convinced me to do a warrior dash obstacle course. And I had to train for it as a 5k and I couldn't even run a mile without having to stop and walk at that point. Um, but eventually I did the warrior dash, had a blast. I went and did a bunch of Spartan races and then tough mutters. And it was sort of back to that, you know, all right, well, let's see how far I can go. Let's, you know, I got really hooked on, um, you know, rather than a self-destructive, you know, drinking behavior, I was like, all right, well, you know, let's see how far I can go. And once I ran out of obstacle races to do, I said, well, I, I kind of remember hearing something about eco challenge, although weirdly, and I don't know, maybe there's somebody out there that can identify with this, but for some reason, when I first considered signing up for an adventure race and I thought about eco challenge, like one of the first things that came to mind was the fact that I had heard in one of the eco challenges that the racers had to like bag up their poop and carry it off of the course. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm into that, but if yeah, there's like a non, a, if there's like a non, <laughs> yeah, I was like, if there's like a non poop carrying and beginner version of eco challenge, sign me up. <laughs> so I did, I did that. I started racing solo and I was pretty successful and I started meeting some good, good people and joined a team and, Man, it was it was this my end of my first season. I went to nationals with um, with Olaf and Whitney Hedberg, and we got 13th place or something like that at nationals. And then the spring after that was my first four day race, and that was when I picked up pack crafting in 2014. I kept racing for many years. I joined the New York Adventure Race Association both as a as a racer on their team and as a race director. Um, and uh, you know that's that's been really rewarding to me. Um, well, well, clearly what you're it, saying is, is that it, it, it connected those dots. Like yeah. You had this personality that was kind of manifesting itself in your life. 
your sister talked you into getting some sense of, of health into you, but then all of a sudden you stumbled into an adventure race. And then a lot of those boxes were just checked for you. And you yeah, were, and, it, and I went like in like a matter of like two years from not being able to run a 5k to doing a four day race in Maine. And it's like, you know, it's not exactly like couch to four day, but it's pretty close. And, and I was like, well, that gave me a lot of perspective on my capabilities and my potential, um, as an athlete. And it gives you perspective on regular life too. It's like, you know, we we're very privileged to have these pursuits, as you say, very often. Um, you know, I, that's one of the things, you know, I really, I really think a lot about, um, you know, that after you sort of drilled that into my head, Brian, and I appreciate that because it, it is important to keep perspective on how privileged we are to, to put ourselves in these uncomfortable situations. Um, and I think it's important to learn, learn from them. And, uh, I have tried to do that both learning about my, my athletic capabilities, but also learning about, you know, my life and, and how, uh, you know, some of the things that kind of go wrong in day-to-day life don't, don't really seem like such a big deal after you've, you know, survived some, some big long race or whatever. It just, it puts things into perspective and it, and it just sort of helps center, center me. Um, and then it sounds like what you've done is you've, you've then drilled that, that overarching enjoyment adventure racing, you've drilled lower, lower, lower to where now there's like almost like a hyper-focus where with the, with the pack rafting, you realize that you're giving, first of all, you enjoy it, right? Let's be honest, like you enjoy it immensely and you put your time into it, but also you get back to the sport in an incredible manner. You get back to the sport in terms of safety, right? You're keeping racers safe through the work that you're doing. You get back to the sport in terms of expanding what race directors can offer racers and more varied races are is good for the sport, right? So those safety and growing the sport. And then of course, being an advocate for pack rafting, how those things meld together are, are three things that you've, you, you've brought to this, right? And this was only possible. You could only give this to us because you went through your personal experience, which has culminated in this conversation today in which you're able to then talk to a larger audience about not only your history, but about how adventure racing has made you who you are today. And on top of that, you give it back to pack rafting. So that's, that's pretty, when you, when you connect those dots, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be able to leave the room after this interview, Brian, because I'm going to have a big, too big a head. Um, you're very, you're very complimentary and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And it, but at the end of the day, you know, like I said, we're all out there just trying to have a little bit of fun and learn something along the way. Um, I do think this safety aspect is very important, which is why I joined the USARA safety committee as well. Um, but it's in real, in reality, it's like, you know, we're, we're trying to have fun and, and get out there and enjoy ourselves and, and try something new and, ex, and explore a little bit and see the world around us. Um, but yeah, I do, I do want people doing it in a safe way. Um, and, uh, you know, if I can help a couple of people make safer, safer decisions along the way and, and come home to their families, that's, uh, that's a huge win for, as far as I'm concerned. Tell our listeners about your upcoming race. Yeah. So, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about, about, um, sort of my style of adventuring and, and what I look for in a race. And I mean, really the Alaska mountain wilderness classic has just been sort of an obsession of mine for a number of years. Um, I haven't done it yet. I was going to go up in 2020 to do it. And, um, you know, obviously you can imagine what happened there, but basically 
I think that the packraft is at its essence a tool. And it's a tool to use to discover a landscape or to cross a landscape or to see a landscape in a different way. Um, you know, there are a lot of people out there using them as tools for different things, like to access really remote wild class five whitewater. Um, I like to use them to cross, to traverse landscapes and just sort of see new areas in a new way. And that's kind of what the Alaska mountain wilderness classic is. That's what a lot of my personal trips are look like, you know, landscape crossings. And it occurred to me that it might be cool to bring that to the adventure racing community and, and really distill it down to kind of its essence, its purest form. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Eastern mountain wilderness challenge. And I've, as I've said, I've spent a lot of time up in the Adirondacks poking around exploring and using the pack raft up there with a lot of success and, and some hardship, but I've seen a lot of cool things that I would love to share with the adventure racing community. So I'm, uh, this is all to say I'm putting on a race right in, in August in the Adirondacks. Getting there and, eventually. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I beat it around the bush a little bit, but basically the idea is that it's a 30 hour event, 30 hour race where you start at one point with everything you need to get to the finish, no transition area, no, you know, no, no race director supported transition areas. Um, it's just start to finish four or five checkpoints, huge distances between checkpoints and big route choice. And racers will have a, the freedom to sort of explore this big, massive course uh, on their own terms, so to speak. And using the pack raft, they can still get a multi-sport experience and everybody's race course or their, their race experience is going to look different because you know, I, I wanted to give, make this big, open, honest uh, course where it can give people as many options and as much freedom to explore the this spectacular wilderness that's you know really not commonly visited because it's so remote and difficult to access. Um, but the packraft is a perfect tool to get there, and I and I really want people to be able to explore it on their own terms. And sort of see, see what you know, see what it takes to to cross a big landscape using the boat, and that's and and that really speaks to me. That style of of a race course, sort of my style of adventuring. So that was really the idea is to is to put together a race course that sort of embodied my adventure style and how I like to use the boat, how I like to use the pack raft. So. Eastern Mountain Wilderness Challenge, August 20th to 21st in the Western Adirondacks. I'm not revealing the exact location yet, um, but it's an unoften visited corner of the wilderness that I think people are really going to be interested in. So, I mean, yeah, I mean how, many my check, how many checkpoints did I hear? Was it five checkpoints? Yeah, yeah, five at most, I may actually remove one of those and go with four. I haven't quite decided um, on that yet. And, but, the course is, and the course is open for how long? Course is open for 30 hours. And I do expect the hard charging lead teams to finish 
in well in advance of 30 hours and and such as the nature of doing these point-to-point courses with no short course options no way to pick a uh, racer up off the course and transport them ahead that's not the theory here it's that everyone has their own experience on this course and they you know the the fast people will finish quickly you know it's still a big very difficult course you know, but people can come out and really make a weekend out of it. Um, and I think that I'd, lo- I'd like to give uh, that opportunity to people who who aren't the hardcore, um, like I said, hardcore, hard charging adventure racers. Um, and to that end, I'm also including a non-competitive digital division, which is something that's not really common to adventure racing. So I will be allowing people to use um, solos and teams to use a GPS unit uh, or their cell phone, because there are a number of cell phone apps that allow um, offline map map navigation right on your cell phone screen, like Gaia Maps is something I use commonly as a backup to a paper map. Um, but I'll separate the map and compass, you know, adventure racing crew from the um, digital division. You know, everybody will start you know, together, but it's, it's, I, I can't rank digital people using a GPS against people using a map and compass. Um, but it will give people who aren't, uh, that competent in wilderness map and compass navigation an opportunity to see the course. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see how that goes. And congratulations on bringing a race into the Adirondacks. Cause that's a very complex permanent yeah, dynamic. For years, you know, it's hard. It's not easy. Um, and it's, it's not, I won't say it was easy this time, um, but I had a bunch of uh, good meetings with the with the rangers and the forestry staff up there, and we talked a lot about um, keeping the event low impact um, and making sure people are safe because of how remote it is and how difficult rescue and extraction from this area can be. Um, so there are conditions on my permit, like. Um, each team or solo has to carry a GPS tracker, but a lot of people have Garmin in reach and these, you know, spot messenger things these days anyway. Um, and they're easy to rent as well or borrow from a friend. So I didn't really think that that was too prohibitive and realistically, I mean, it's a, it's an, it's an amazing idea. Um, and you know, I mean, this tracking is becoming so common with adventure racing these days. Um, it it gives the race director a a good peace of mind for me. I'm going to love knowing exactly where my racers are, uh, and be able to communicate with them and the, and the forestry staff and the rangers are going to like knowing where the racers are. And it's good for them, uh, the racers too, to have that peace of mind and be able to communicate if they get in trouble or, or whatever. Uh, I use the Garmin inReach mini. And I mean, in my opinion, there's really no reason anybody shouldn't have one of those if you're if you're doing you know any wilderness stuff these Great. days. Yeah, just, I, I mean, it's, yeah, the Garmin InReach Mini is just it's it's, oh, it's, 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 it's I mean it's it weighs like just, three ounces and you can yeah. and I've I've used it to to text with my family from some canyon in the middle of Utah from some mountain in the middle of nowhere Alaska. It's just incredible right. the power of those tools and. Um, you know, I would recommend everybody consider it because it's just an amazing tool that, um, that everyone should be using these days. So, so w- one comment and one question. One comment was this past weekend, I mentioned we had the Shenandoah Epic and, uh, Mark Harris and Mark and Margot Harris with Adventure Enablers put that race on. 
And to their credit, uh, Glenn Gibson uh, was not racing and he was offering Facebook live updates, basically typed in over the course, talking about the race strategy that was being used. And it felt as if they had crossed a bit of a line in, in a very, very positive way about how people who are not racing can be actively engaged in the race at home. And they did a, a great job with that. And I think that's a bit of a model we're going to see going forward um, with, with, with how races are, are shown live. Um, yeah. The question I have is, and knowing that very often those trackers rely on cell service in the Western Adirondacks is, is a cell wasteland. They don't exist out there. Will there be live tracking for your race or is it, or is it merely the GPS is only a backup safety device? Yeah, I don't think live tracking uh, for the public is going to be an option for this one. Um, like you said, the trackers that a lot of racers are using, Mark um, with Adventure Enablers has a fleet of trackers that he rents out, which I think is great, but it does depend on a certain amount of cell signal. Um, and the area that my race is in is completely devoid. It would be pointless to have the teams carrying those. They just wouldn't do anything. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So that's that's going to be a safety um, and race management thing only. Um, and like I said, this, this event is going to be pretty small uh, because of how sensitive this area is and how sensitive the forestry staff and rangers are to having a high-impact race in this area. And to me, uh, giving anybody a chance to, to see this is going to be worth it. Um, it's going to be a very small event and I I'm happy it's going to be that way because I'm hoping that working with the forestry staff and the Rangers and them seeing how these things are managed because you know, they, they don't know what we're doing. You yeah. know, I tell them I want to have a point to point pack raft race through this wilderness. And they're like, you want to do what? Yeah. And, yeah. I had the same challenge. Long? I tried to go to a local park up here in Southern New York state. And I just had a barrier because they have a rule inside that park and uh, 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 definitely a little brother to your, your concept going through four or five bodies of water. There's a rule in the park that says that you could only enter and exit the water at docks. Yeah. And I was like, pack raft. And they, they even wrapped there. So to your point, you had to explain, not only you explained what a pack raft was, but the fact that adventure racers could go into this land and survive and thrive inside of it. It's, it's really hard, you know, um, educating people on pack rafting and adventure racing, like you said, both at the same time, uh, to their credits though, the, the DEC staff I've been working with on this, have, they've been amazing. And I, I will say my experiences in New York, just generally with the DEC staff in the Catskills and now in the Adirondacks has been amazing. And I really hope to yeah. continue this relationship going forward. And I'd like the Eastern Mountain Wilderness Challenge to be a yearly thing. Might not always be in the Adirondacks, but um, I think that there that there's it's just ripe for amazing adventure racing. And it hasn't been used because it's just so prohibitively difficult to permit. There's so much per private land. There are so many competing land managers and things. So the, the fact that I got permission to do this, uh, I think is really remarkable. And uh, and I'm excited to share it with, uh, with the adventure racing community. So I hope people sign up and, um, and come give it a try. I, I want to echo your statements about the DEC in New York State through Naira. Uh, New York Adventure Racing Association, we worked with them for the Grafton, for the trilogy, which is up at Grafton Lakes, just was east of uh, Albany. Um, they could not have been more positive, open, and gracious. So if you're 
If you're involved with the DEC and you're listening to this podcast, thank you for your, your advocacy on behalf of, of, of adventure racing and, and pack rafting now. Very often we speak to race directors, they will often reference that the most challenging part of putting a race on is permitting these various areas. Um, and so thank you, New York State, for that. We really appreciate your advocacy. Um, before we wrap up here, Eric, and we're getting near the end of our time together, talk to me a bit about pack rafting adventures. I know that you do guided trips, you do training and classes, you do rentals, you have the Eastern Mountain Wilderness Challenge. Give our listeners, if they if they want to dip into their, their toes into the pack rafting waters, pun intended, um, what should they, what will they pick up if they visit your website and if they speak to you directly? What do you offer them as a service? Yeah, so thanks for asking. And uh, again, it, it really goes back to the genesis of this whole comp- company has just been safety. And it's certainly been growing the sport and advocacy for pack rafting and getting more people to participate in the sport and, and enjoy it. And um, But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I really, my bread and butter with this is the instructional model where I, I like to teach some combination of paddling and river safety and rescue. And it's, it's really eye-opening for a lot of people. And I mean, certainly was for myself. I mean, I probably shouldn't talk, talk for other people, but in my experience teaching people, I just love, especially love beginner instruction because it's just, there are so many of those little aha moments that's so rewarding. And I taught a two day course uh, about a month ago and just the improvement between the first day and the second day. And my students was like, unbelievable, you know, and they were paddling class three on day two. Some of them, you know, were paddling on a river they had paddled before and never managed to get down without swimming a bunch of times. And they were really, they were really thrilled that, you know, they were able to apply some of what we learned on day one and, and actually turn that into like better boating style and, and um, being more competent on the river. So I, I really love that teaching model and being able to, to share the information with beginners that will make them safer boaters. Um, and they probably follow that model where they learn something new, they regressed, right? They struggled learning new knowledge and then they progressed after a day or two because that's a very common model everywhere so if anybody is taking a pack rafting course and if they feel like they forgot how to paddle a boat that's part of the learning process yeah it's different and i talk about this in the video but you know the paddling a pack raft is different than paddling a kayak or a canoe um and you know like you said you might you might have some bad habits already that you need to break um or you really might just not know what you're doing at all and that's fine uh, I commend anybody who who seeks out additional training. And, you know, even though I teach people, I'm always training. I'm still trying to learn. You know, I'm going out to Colorado this year in, um, in a couple of months to train for a week with, with these paddling instructors out there that I really respect. Um, and, you know, I try to paddle with new, new partners who are more experienced than I am. Um, I'm hoping to get up to Alaska again this year to paddle with some really amazing uh, adventurers up there. So that whole continuing education thing, you know, I really can't. I mean, look, you know, Brian, I'm I'm preaching to the choir here, um, Mr. Superintendent there. But I I think it's really important to be open to learning new things and to admitting that maybe you don't know 
the best way of doing something um, or that you maybe don't know the safest way to do something. Just be open to that information and understand that rivers especially are very, very dangerous environments. And it, you know, you look, I, I commonly say you wouldn't go downhill skiing unless you knew how to stop, right? Well, how many people really know how to stop their boat on a whitewater river? You know, it's like these little things that people don't necessarily think of. But like I said, working with beginners is I love it and because they they have all these light bulb aha moments that are just so rewarding to see. And they translate that into uh, becoming safer, more competent boaters. And then hopefully passing that information along to their paddling partners and making other people safer too. You know, it's kind of an exponential thing. Um, you know, my, my company's pretty small right now. It's just me and, a, you know, one or two other guys that help me out. Um, so my, my schedule of instruction is limited at the moment. I hope to be growing in the future. And I'm always keen to talk about how to do custom adventures and courses for people that are interested in doing something, but don't see something that works for them on my schedule. I'm assuming um, that you would probably, if, if, if uh, someone reached out to you, if they wanted to plan their own backcountry trip in Adirondacks, you'd help them, you'd accompany them, obviously, as part of your, your service, um, but also you would help them plan that trip itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to offer advice. Um, I love I love guiding as well. Um, all that is, yeah, that's all possible. And I've written a bunch online stuff that we've done on in the Adirondacks and things like that. Um, you know, I don't want to give away too, too many of my hard-earned secrets uh, for free, but, you know, I think sharing some of the cool things that I've experienced and giving some people some insight on how to plan their own trips and do so safely. And, uh, I think that's, that's really, that's really, a an important piece of the puzzle for me is just, you know, talking to somebody and feeling them out, trying to get a sense as to like, what's an appropriate objective and helping them figure out something that's going to be rewarding for them, but also it's not going to get them in over their heads. But what's the website where they could find you? Packraftingadventures.com. It's pretty Very nice. simple. Nice and simple. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple. And like I said, I you know, I have rental boats for people who want to go out there and try it out or who want to participate in one of my courses and don't have their own boats. You know, I'll um I'll give you uh, the tutorial on it. You know, I've got some amazing brands supporting me, Alpaca. Uh, supplies all my boats to the best in the world, hands down. I mean, there's no question. Uh, so I got a bunch of whole fleet of alpaca boats, um, Aquabound and Werner paddles and Astral PFTs. I mean, you see all this stuff on my website, but uh, you know, I pick these brands for a very specific reason. I plug them now because they deserve it. You know, I, I don't want to be like a commercial here for these brands, but I, I did, I sought them out specifically because they are the best in the world at doing what they do. And I talk a lot more about gear in the, in the video series and people are going to really love that show and tell stuff. I, I guarantee it. It's really, really cool to see kind of what the different boat designs are and how they can be applied to different objectives. But at the end of the day, I spent a lot, a lot of time and money trying to figure out what the best gear is for the best, you know, for accomplishing a particular objective. Um, and that I share as much as I can in the limited amount of time I can when I teach my courses and I try to impart that knowledge. So uh, maybe I can save some people some time, not making all the same mistakes I made. Eric. You've been more than gracious with your time. Thank you for your advocacy for pack rafting adventure racing. We'll see you out there. All the best. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure.
thank you, Eric, for joining us on The Dark Zone. And thank you to USARA for producing our companion video, which may be found on their website. All links are found in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Dark Zone, please spread the word by giving us a rating on your podcast platform of choice and telling your friends and neighbors all about The Dark Zone and Adventure Racing Podcast. Have fun out there and be safe.